All right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. All right, so part two of week two, uh, Bible study. And now I got my two daughters. I got Sierra and Mary Anna. And so tonight we're going to go over uh, the foundational learning. Mary, we're going to pick up where we left off. It was some parts that we didn't cover that we need to pick back up on. But last week, we learned the Bible as a foundation. So we started out by learning uh, what Jesus' priorities were and we learned what he prioritized. And and why did we learn that? Because if we want to live like him, we want to know what was most important to him. You want that dumb... um... Okay. Uh, And then we learned about his authority, right? So he was saying, look, I'm not just coming on my own authority, but I'm coming on my father who sent me. And not only that, I'm coming by way of the signs and wonders that's with me. I come by witness of John the Baptist and the scriptures that preceded me. Right. You remember that part? And then we started talking about the patriarchs, the ones who were the foundational um leaders of the Bible. Remember, we talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we talked about a little bit about Lot and his wife. And so that leads us now to Exodus. And then we're going to go into the conquest and judges and then the kingdom. Then the kingdom was divided. They went into exile and then they returned. So we're going to go through that and, and I'm sorry, I forgot this piece. The reason that we started looking into uh, those things, because we wanted to understand how Jesus treated the scriptures, right? Because remember, we were saying some people don't believe what they read. And some people think that the word of God is just some white man's religion and, and a lot of other things that they say. But if you think about how Jesus treated the scriptures, he treated the scriptures like a true historic account of the Bible. And he, he, um, I I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) I don't know why I was counting what you see, but anyway. All right. So, so in Exodus, Exodus, um, what did Jesus think about Exodus and John Three uh, verses 14 through 15, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but shall have eternal life. So here, Jesus treats Moses as a real person, an actual person, and he treats their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness as an actual person. Event. So if Jesus believed that it happened and we believe that Jesus was real and we believe that if he was real, then what he said, who he said he was is true. Then that means that Jesus, I mean, that Moses was real. All right. So he treats the story uh, of the serpent as a reality, as a real occurrence, not something that was just depicted in um, what was that Cheston? Um, Oh, Charleston something, I forget. And the Moses story that we used to watch every Easter, uh, that was Hollywood, but this actually happened, all right? So he used it uh, in his sermons or in his teachings to give a picture 
of how God protects his people and who God was. So how did he treat the conquest uh, and judges? In Matthew's uh, one chapter, I'm sorry, chapter one, verses five through six, the word of God says, uh, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by uh, Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, the king. And uh, here we see Jesus' genealogy that includes Rahab. And we know Rahab uh, was, 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 uh, you know, she, she was, she was a a tricky type lady. (laughs) I'm going to let you read that in in uh, Joshua 2 and 6. All right. Yet Jesus was treating her again as a real person. And so Ruth and the Moabites, uh, he was treating them as real people. Why is this significant? Because many of these scriptures that occurred in the Bible, they're giving us lessons that were learned during biblical times and they're still relevant today. All right. How did he treat the kingdom? What did he think about the kingdom? What did he say about the kingdom? Let's go to Matthew Uh, 12 and 3, the word of God says, but he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, uh, have, have you not read? And so Jesus treats the story of David's flight from Saul as if it actually happened. Again, what we're establishing here is that Jesus treated the scriptures like a historic event. So just like we go and pick up our American history book or our uh, civics or anything like that that gives us history, Jesus treated the scriptures as history. Let's see what he says in Luke 20, uh, 41 through 44. The word of God says, And he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, David himself said uh, in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David called him Lord. How is he his son? So Jesus treats uh, Psalms of David as if it was actually written in his own day. So what does that establish? That establishes that in the beginning, there was the word and the word was God. And so Jesus was there in the beginning. Matthew 6, uh, 28 and 29, the word of God says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider all the lilies in the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So again, we see he was referring to Solomon as an actual person to illustrate a picture within his day. In Luke 11 and 31, uh, again, as, as he talks about or he illustrates the establishment of God's kingdom, He's teaching them about God's kingdom and how uh, God wants his kingdom understood. He said in Luke 30, uh, 11 and 31, he said, The queen of the south will raise up in judgment 
with the men of the gener- of this generation and condemned them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So he's talking about the queen of Sheba and her visit to Solomon, but he's saying it once again as if it already applied and if it already happened within his day. But what he's trying to establish is that in the kingdom, if the queen of Sheba visited Solomon to get wisdom and all of its glory because he was so wise, you all have something greater because I am walking here amongst you. All right. So uh, it talks about the kingdom divided. Uh, I'm going to let you go into Luke 11 and 32 and then Luke 4. Uh, 25 and 27, Matthew 8, 7 through 8. And I'm rushing through these because I want to get to the questions. Um, And then he talks about, or he teaches about exile uh, in Matthew 24 and 15. And then the return, the return, how they return to Jesus, how they return to God. All right. So what we want to establish is that Jesus treats every era of the Old Testament as if it is historic and relevant in the day and time that he was walking in because it was projecting his future, his present, and his now. And if we accept his authority and we accept him, then we have to accept the word of God as the infallible word of God. So ultimately, The question is, where is your faith? And he desires that we have faith to to believe in what we're reading. All right. So even as we go through these studies, we're going to talk through the truths about man and God and then the application of those truths. And before that, we're going to establish what was the identity? What was the identity that God was trying to establish for last week. We missed it because we're getting caught up this week. But last week, the uh, memory verse was Isaiah 55, uh, I mean, chapter 55, verses 10 and 11 and Romans 15 and 4. Now, remember, we're going to learn these memory verses, right? So uh, I'm going to go back and we're going to get the memory verses and y'all going to use it and apply it to your life. And uh, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, it shows God's provision for his people. And then we're going to get into uh, Romans 15 and 4. All right. All right. So era uh, one. So the first era, this is what we're talking. And we're going to get to some questions, but we keep it uh, time too, right? Yeah. All right. So, so L1 is around the creation, the fall and its consequences, the creation, the fall and its consequences, consequences, consequences. And so what we have to keep top of mind 
as we look at this era is it helps us to understand our own identity, identity and who we are, why we are here, why does God allow us to exist, and what's wrong with where we are. What issues are there? How does this reflect on the character of God? So again, I think last week we talked about how the Bible was a book that God created and allowed a love story. We also talked about it being a um, declaration, a contract, a law. And first among the characters is God. He's a holy God. He's a personal God. And we learn that God delights in the beauty of order. He judges sin, but he delights in mercy. And he's always making plans, good plans, perfect plans for the future. So even as we saw the fall, he had a plan. God creates Adam and sets him apart from the rest of creation. So that's how we know as much as men act like, babu, I mean, animal, I mean, up, he separated man from the rest of creation. And he assigned Adam to the task of tending to the Garden of Eden. We learn as we read through Genesis that Adam was a noble and a kingly man. But when sin entered in, that he received a spiritual death. And as a result of that, that nobility and that kingliness flew out the door and it was replaced with fear and guilt and shame. And in the midst of all of his pettiness, And in his relationship with his wife, he began to blame God for his own disobedience for giving him the woman. And Eve, on the other hand, she, in the beginning, she was queenly. So if you think about the original order and structure of God and how he intended the relationship that he had with men and women, Remember, he wanted us to have dominion. So that's where the ideal or concept of ruler, king, lord, all of those things come from. Because God desired that we be kings and queens. And and, uh, Adam and Eve walked in that before sin. So Eve was queenly and intelligent and she was a suitable helper to Adam. And in her uh, lack of knowledge, didn't want to say ignorance, that's the word that, was, that came to my mind. <laughs> but in her lack of knowledge, she uh, refrained from getting clarification from Adam about God's prohibition against eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of her not getting clarity, from uh, Adam regarding this uh, instruction that God had given, she made a haste decision. 
And remember, we learned that she was led by what she saw, not by what God had given her, the instructions that were given to her through her husband. And not only was she led by that, she recruited her husband into being disobedient with God. So here we have the the key characters in the first era, the creation, the fall, and the consequences. We have God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we had Adam, who was the son of man. We have Eve. And then we have the serpent. And so the Bible tells us that the serpent was more subtle than any beast. And he was wickedly wanting man to rebel against God. He wanted so badly for man to rebel against God that he attacked man at his weakest point. And then he had the audacity to try to misquote God and to cast doubt into God's character. Sometimes people just be hating just to hate. They see that you're in a good relationship with somebody and they see that you're doing well and you're walking in obedience to their will and they like, uh, let me just nudge them the right way and see what they do. Anytime y'all see that behavior, it's a, it's a serpent. Just be like, you're a serpent. So in the next generation, as we go through the first era, we come to Cain. And so Cain, as we learn uh, in, in, in the Bible about his story, he was actually a gardener. He was a gardener. And when I think about the story of Cain, he reminds me a lot of what we hear about Lucifer when he was in heaven. He was very prideful. His pride led him to the desire to steal, kill, and destroy. He stole a life. He killed his brother, and he destroyed both of their legacies because Cain went on to have children who we all know at the flood, they were demolished because it was only Noah's bloodline which came through uh, Seth. And... He killed his brother who, before he had children. So Abel, on the other hand, was a shepherd who worshiped God and who walked in God's way, yet he died for being obedient. He died for being obedient. Remember earlier when I said, take the word and see how it applies to you? How many times do we walk in God's will and our character is assassinated? We lose so many other things because people are haters and don't even know how to be appreciated. (laughs) But I can relate a lot of times to Abel being killed by your brethren because they choose to do wrong and they get jealous because God is using you and putting you on a platform, and he's exposing you through his glory. He gives you blessings because you're walking in obedience. He gives you favor 
He acknowledges your obedience and then here come the brother trying to kill. But I ain't going to preach tonight because we're teaching. So Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a gardener. Abel worshiped God. He worshiped God the way that God desired to be worshiped. Cain was full of pride and he did things independently in his own way. Now, I ain't going to get too deep on you. But I talked about this earlier today about how we have to be careful as parents as we raise our children to the next generation because they'll pick up our same attributes. When you think about Cain, while his mother did not kill his father, but the story has some similarities because she was walking in her own independence and deep disobedience to God and her actions, she didn't outright kill her husband, but her actions caused his spiritual death. Then they have a son and he does the same thing, but physically manifest. So anyway, if you look at the correlation, but like I said, I ain't gonna get too deep with it, but Cain, somebody say he get it from his mama. Okay. All right. Seth. Seth was their next son. So Seth was the bearer of what? God's promise. He was the bearer of God's promise. So here you have Adam and Eve. They sinned. God said, you ain't got to go home. As a matter of fact, you can't stay home. You got to get out of here. But you still have dominion, and we're going to talk about that. But the generation that they raised, Their first two sons, you had the son, Cain, that killed his brother Abel. But God said, not only am I going to be merciful for you and kick you out of heaven so that now that you think you can eat from the tree of good, of the knowledge of good and evil, that you won't eat from that tree that gives you everlasting life and you got to stay in this state forever. I'm going to be merciful and, and kick you out, but also... I'm going to give you a son that brings forth a promise. And so then after Abel comes Noah. And Noah was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. It says the, the one righteous man out of the world of people whose heart only intend evil all the time and who obeys God in faith and saves his family. And ultimately, he saved the human race. So his heart only intended um, good and not evil. Because of the world and the world's evil, God used him to save the world. Noah's sons and their wives have children 
and they begin to repopulate the earth through their descendants. And then we saw how the descendants began to scatter throughout the land and they built this huge tower of Babel. And then we have Job and Job proceeds uh, the patriots and then we learn of God's sovereignty through his relationship that he had with Job. In Genesis, we are we learn our identity. In Genesis, God shows us as he forms man in his own image who we are, and he shapes our identity before the fall. And even after the fall, he redeems us and shows us that he never turned his back on who he intended for us to be. We learned that because they tried to live outside of God's identity for them after the fall, that they were seeking to make a name for themselves. The identity of man went from walking with God in the Garden of Eden, having a direct relationship with him, to living a life of struggle and sin and trying to reconcile their relationship back to him. Genesis shows us two key lessons about our identity. He shows us that it is good for us to believe in God and believe in his word and allow his word to be true in our lives. That is our true identity, our faith and belief in God. And it also shows us that when we come outside of his authority, when we start making decisions by sight and by our flesh and our own unbelief, that we no longer reflect the identity of God, that we start to reflect our own human identity, which is contrary to God. In the worldview in Genesis, we learn that man would rather create an existence without God than to allow God to rule over them. And we see how Cain demonstrates how man um, can adapt, how man can adapt to life apart from God's presence and think that they're okay. With the absence of God, it's almost like believing, well, I'm still alive. I still can live. But he didn't come to the day of Noah in the ark when those were saved and not one from his generation made it in. That's the way the sin works because when we have our worldviews and we live our worldviews, eventually it's going to catch up with us. God's word is power. 
In Genesis, we learn that God's word, his, his, the very essence of his voice, his words bring power because they created the world that we know today through his speech and his speaking. We learn that his word is wisdom and it has authority. And that his word, his very word, is the basis for our relationship with him. In Genesis, if we read it well, we'll learn that God has given us instruction about our families and marriage, about how we treat creation, how we reproduce. We learn about obedience and God's standards and his requirement for us to have faith. We learn about the the knowledge that he wants to give us, the instructions that he gives us about how to reconcile back to him. God's word is faithfulness and it promises us hope and it gives us the seed that we need to grow our faith to endure in a dying world so that we can receive the promise of redemption. The mercy and the grace that God gave his people even after their sin. Now we're going to get into questions. So I hope y'all can hear me. Yes. yes. (laughs) Because I'm going to start asking y'all some questions. So we learned in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, we learned about the creation. Here are a few core truths that we learned that God wanted us to understand in Genesis, that he made provision for all of our needs, even before we had the need. I've been listening to this book about, um, what is it called? Uh, providence, God's providence. And it just gives you an assurance that God is already making plans for us before we even know what we need. Even in situations and circumstances where people want to call you and tell you about a $3,200 house that they're renting out in the part of town that you know it ain't no, oh, I'm sorry. I have my eyes closed. All right. The second thing that God wanted, uh, uh, I mean, a core truth, I'm sorry. God created systems. He created systems for us, systems uh, that actually work. And if you think about it, all of these gurus and life coaches and, and, and uh, inspirational speakers, if you really peel back the layers of what they're talking about, if they're talking about something is worth something, It is rooted and grounded in God's principles and his systems. And those systems work. He created systems around our spiritual life, our emotional life, our family life, our finances, and our time management. Another core truth that we learn in Genesis is that God is powerful and he is intimately involved in the affairs of man. Think about it. Adam and Eve could have just went on about their business if God didn't care nothing about them. But here they go, shameful, fearful, and all of that embarrassed because they done sinned and now they know they naked. And God said, oh, okay, let me cover you. Now, look, I'm a good mother, but one of the things about me, sometimes I let my kids learn a little lesson. 
and a little lesson that I feel like, yep, it might embarrass you a little bit, but it ain't going to hurt you. I probably would have left them naked. But Genesis is teaching us that God is intimately involved in the affairs of man. It also teaches us that God gave commands to be followed for man's good, not for our own good. We think God is out there just just say, I mean, <laughs> for man's good, but for not for his own good. We think he out there making up rules because he don't want us uh, to have fun. No, he knows. He knows if you go out there getting drunk and getting high, you're going to do something you ain't got no business doing. He knows that if you fornicate, you're going to bring forth troubles and trials in your life that you don't even want. Come on now. All right. He gave us, uh, he gave, uh, I lost my place. All right. So God gave rules to Adam who in turn informed his wife. And he gave those rules because he knew that it would require faith from Adam in order to walk in obedience. Adam needed faith. But here's the, here's the beauty in this situation. And, and it helps us to know that when the Bible says that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, it even was in existence back then. It was in operation. Because even after the fall, if you think about it, Adam and Eve taught their children faith about God. Not only did they teach them faith about God, they taught them about God, how to walk in obedience, how to, how to uh, walk in his principles and in his will. So it turned itself around, even though they had that uh, discretion. But anyway, it was a good thing that uh, God was teaching, giving uh, Adam rules because he wanted to teach him faith. And so Adam got the lesson, but also he got kicked out because he, he, he sinned. All right, so God gave instructions about extended family relationships as they affect marriage. So he gave instruction that a man shall leave their father and their mother. And even before he gave those instructions, even before the extended family existed. Part of why we're doing this uh, chronological Bible is so we can kind of walk through. Because some people say, well, wait a minute. It said that it was only Adam and Eve and their children. Well, how did, how did Cain go and, and, and find a wife? You know, stuff like that. That's why we're reading it chronologically so we can get it in the right context. All right, so another core truth is that God sees, he evaluates, and he gives boundaries and desires fellowship with us. God is a relational God. He's a relational God. I thank God for my my relationship with my parents so that I can understand the love of a parent and having a relationship. He's a relational guy. All right. So we about to jump into the questions. Y'all listening? Yep. All right. So y'all probably want to read your little word. Genesis uh, chapter one, verses two through three. Genesis chapter one, verses two through three. All right. So here's the question. Who is in the beginning? And what does this tell us about God? Who is in the beginning? 
And somebody can read the scripture. God, um, he was created in day one, so God is in the beginning. Yeah, what, what do the scripture tell you? You said Genesis chapter one, verses two and three. Mm-hmm. And read it. Hold on. I'm so sorry. But I want you to read it. Read it in the NIV or in the, um, or in the, uh, King James Version. Go ahead. Well, you said two to three. Okay. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so you're right. God was in the beginning. And so what does that tell us about God? He's always been here. And better yet, he has no beginning and he has no end. All right. So what was the state of the earth when God speaks? It was it was it was dark. It was empty. It was void. So what does that tell us about God's spoken word? It brings life. It brings life and light to darkness. Remember we talked about praying the word of God? How important that is? As you get these scriptures, begin to pray and speak the word of God. All right? What is the spirit of God doing? And, and doing what? He was hovering over the waters. And he was creating. He was creating. What, how does God create? How does he create? He spoke it and what happened? And things began to happen. So if we are created in his image, then what? He spoke that. Then we can speak. We can speak. We can speak because he spoke. If he created us in his image, the Bible tells us that the power of life and death is in our tongues. That's why I'm very careful. Remember when... um, uh, somebody has stole my identity and tried to get my information. I was very angry. Oh my God, I was so mad. But I was very careful about what I said. Because I know that sometimes when we speak out of anger, we can speak word curses not knowing what we're saying. Now, I ain't going to get into this right now, but somebody, wife, um, uh, was a thief and they didn't know the wife was a thief and they got accused of stealing. And I'm just telling the story like this cause we gonna get to it. Uh, and they spoke a curse. <laughs> they said, whoever did this, let them die. And it was a wife that they really, really loved. They had two of them. One of, one of them, they, they kind of like, but they say she was cross-eyed. 
And the other one, they loved because she was so beautiful. And this one stole from my own daddy. But anyway, he spoke a word curse and she wind up dying. So that's why I'm very careful with the words that I speak because we yet have the dominion that God uh, had given us. All right. So after God creates light, what else does he do? Once he creates life, what does he do? That's good, but he evaluates the light. He evaluates. He, he steps back. He creates it, and then he evaluates it. So think about it. What does that tell us about God and his relationship with creation? There you go. I like that. I like that. But you know what I was thinking about in my mind? That he is thorough and he wants to ensure the quality of his work. So he evaluated it. All right. So after God creates and, and see, uh, keep time because I know y'all got to get to the store. So, okay. So let me know um, if we if we going over too much. All right. So, but I like this. Y'all like this? I don't know. I like this. All right. <laughs> After God creates various things, uh, what does he do? After he creates the various things, what does he do? And this is, this is further in Genesis, um, what, we, what we read. After he creates the various things, what does he do? He gives them names. He gives them names. I know that was a simple one, right? Y'all were looking for something more complex. (laughs) He gives them names. But what does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about God? The fact that he gives them names after he creates them. It's something about a name. It's something about tangibly giving something an identity. It's almost like he brings it to life. I'm thinking about Pinocchio. Remember when he said, I'm a boy. I'm thinking about when you have a kid. Yes. Yes. Did he come up with my name after I was born? I think it was it after or before? You know, I was a little. <laughs> but still, the kid gets their name on the birth certificate after birth. So yes, after it's a, it's a sense of pride. I'm giving you a name to to give you an identity, and that is a sense of pride. I'm so glad you used that as an example because my mind didn't even go there. But that is a wonderful, wonderful example. He was proud of what he had created, so he gave it name. How is God demonstrating his interest in shaping identity? By giving names. How is he, and I think we just said it, but how is he demonstrating his interest in uh, shaping identity? Yes, we, God has shaped us 
in such a fashion. Remember it said how he separated Adam from all the other creatures and he gave the identity. How does God describe uh, the reproduction process? Ah, that's a good one. How does God describe, and this wasn't in in, uh, two and three, it was further down. How does he describe the reproduction process? He told them to reproduce according to what? Your own kind. So in other words, a bat is not going to reproduce a a horse. And a fish is not going to reproduce a bird. But then again, I saw something on social media. (laughs) They be all mixed up. I'm like, what in the world? But he, he, he instructed to reproduce um, according to your own kind. So, so what does that tell us about God? What does that tell us if he said reproduce according to your own kind? Structure. Oh, my goodness. That means that God is a God of order. He's a God of structure. He's a God of limits. And he is a God of parameters. See, we try to live willy-nilly however we want. And the one main thing that I think we get challenged with, and like I said, we get it from my mama, 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 daddy, daddy, all the way back to Adam and Eve. We are so rebellious. We don't like structure. We don't like order. But God is a God of order, he is a God of structure, and he is a God of parameters. We don't make the rules, we just live by them. All right, here's the next question. Where, uh, what does God command regarding plant life? What does he command regarding plant life? We're in Genesis, but nope, not one. We're we're getting further and further down. Okay, so I know an answer. I'm going to say 11. Go down to 11. Okay, because I know after they ate from the tree, then they, the farming was harder for the man. That's one example. I found this on the bed. <laughs> and so read, read Genesis 1 and 11. Oh, wait a minute. Did I say 1 and 11? That ain't what I'm... Uh-uh. I'm in 1 and 11. Oh, I'm in a King James Version. So that's what he told us about life. But what that tells us about God and how he cares and he's concerned about us is that he is interested in the future generation. He said, produce. He said, let the feet, the seed fall into the ground and produce life. That life was being generated so that we can have a life, so that we can flourish and have a life. Okay, so uh, what is the purpose of the sun and the moon? and the day, and the night. And what does that tell us about God and the systems that he created? So 
that goes back to his order, that goes back to his structure, right? That goes back to the love that he has for us to partition day and night. That goes back to the fact that God is intimately involved in the life of man, that he created a day, I mean, a time of rest and a time of work and a time of doing. All right. Uh, how does God describe what he has created and what does that tell you about God? And I'll just tell you. He said it was good. <laughs> he said it was good. He said it was good. And what that tells us about God is that he, he evaluates based on his standards, which are perfect. And so he determines what's right and wrong. And if he said it's good, trust and believe it's good. Um, who was I listening to the other day that said we have to separate uh, the world with the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. So what he created was good, but the world is a system. And the world being a system has a world view, so it is fallible. So a lot of times when we quote the scripture that says that we are in the world and not of the world, and that we are, we are separated by Christ, we think that we need to be separated from the earth. No, the devil is a liar. You know, we try to, we try to put religion or legal, legalism on things that our nature, God created, right? Um, so anyway, I don't know why I just said that thought. Okay, so what does God command both plant and animal to do? And we already said this. Is it to uh, reproduce? Yep, to reproduce. And how does he ensure that this will come to pass? <laughs> how, does he, how does he ensure that that let me just say man is gonna reproduce? Um by giving them like hormones like yeah. no <laughs> He made it clear. He might look, I want y'all to reproduce. I want y'all to, you know, get married and all of that. We know that. All right. How is man created? How is man created? In uh, his image. In his image, but how? From what? Oh, from And what else? The breath of, of God. Okay, I'm doing my happy dance. <laughs> how did he describe man? How did he describe man in Genesis? Because, see, a lot of people get caught up on this. He described man as both male and female. Male and female. So when we get in the Bible and they be like, oh, a woman can't do this, a woman can't do that, blah, 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 because it say man. It says man because it is written from a uh, male perspective, but it does not omit the value of a woman. When the Bible speaks to man, depending on the translation, it means human. And he described them as male and female. All right. Uh, right. They be mad. Now, look at this. I, I missed this when I read this earlier. But remember, we talked about the spirit hovering over the earth. 
the spirit was hovering over the earth or, or it's possible, it's possible. They're not saying it is definitive because God was waiting to impart breath into man. See, I never thought, whoo, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Listen, this is what I get excited about. When you think about the intellect of God, see, we know God to be a spiritual God. We know God to be an emotional God, all of that. But when you think about the brilliance and the intellect of God, when I used to read about Solomon and David and uh, uh, all of them and and their wisdom and and Moses and, and strategy and all of that stuff, I would get so excited because I get drawn to intellect. But if you think about how intellectual God had to be to create the earth and then have the spirit hovering over the earth so he could breathe into man, Come on now, that excites me. All right, so how do animals differ from man? He gave man power, he gave man dominion, and he gave man the ability to choose. He gave us will, he gave us free will. So that's how we differ from animals. In other words, when somebody be like, I just can't help myself. I just, blah, blah, blah. No, wait a minute. Hold on. God gave you a brain and a mind to think with, and he gave you free will. He also gave man a soul. He gave man a relationship with him. What does God command man and woman? Well, we already talked about that. All right, who is the ruler over animals? We already talked about that. Oh, here we go. Who's the ruler over animals? Um, Is it man? Man. Who's the ruler over man? God. God. That's how God originally intended it when he was walking side by side with Adam and Eve. But guess what? Sin created a need for another ruler. So God said, look, I got another plan for you. It's called redemption. But until then, I'm going to give you a ruler. And guess what the ruler was that he gave them? Let me just ask you this. When I say the word ruler, oh, it might take your mind to to something else. But when I say the word ruler, what does it take your mind to? Like a, a leader. A leader. But he gave, he gave them judges. They weren't happy with the judges. They said, oh, you gave us these judges. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you my prophets. They weren't happy with the prophets. They weren't happy with the judges. He said, they said, we see all of these other people who serve these other gods, and guess what? They got kings. So eventually he said, all right, y'all want a king? I'm going to give you one. (laughs) He gave them Saul, and they was begging for David by the time he got there. But anyway, God has rules over man. Only God. All right. How how do the man and woman know uh, that they are to rule over the earth? Because God told them. You know what's funny about that whole thing? It's like, how do we cherry pick what we believe and what we don't believe? It's like Adam and Eve believed and knew that they had rule and authority over 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 the animals. They knew and understood that. But guess what? When the serpent 
deceived Eve, why didn't Adam take authority over that serpent? You already knew you had uh, authority and dominion, but you just let it slide. But we do that all the time. I'm telling you, I'm, I am so guilty of that. I am so guilty when God gives me authority over a situation I will take authority, know I got authority. Then when I get faced with opposition, I back up. He ain't never take the authority back. Just imagine if he would have operated in his authority, where we would be today. Where did I leave off? All right, so... uh, In Genesis 2, starting in chapter 2, going all the way... Uh, to uh, verses verse 25. Um, <laughs> we already know this. We talked about this. Where, where did God place man? And what does that tell you about man? And what does that tell you about God? And what does that tell you about man? True. And I think another thing that it shows us about man is how God revered them, how how much God loved them, like you said, and how special man was because he placed them there. All right. What is uh, God's what was God's instructions for man? Um, I'm going to skip that because this is asking the same questions. Um. Ah, okay, this is a good one. In Genesis, remember, God, first of all, he separated the, the water, right? So that, so that we have the separation of water and land. He established his relationship with man, giving them instruction for obedience. He gave them dominion over the earth. But this is a good question. Why does God bring the animals to Adam? And what does this do for Adam? And what does that tell us about Adam? Why did God bring the animals to Adam? It it has a lot to do with his dominion. But I feel like, like I was saying earlier about the intellect of God and where he said that we were made in his image. To me, it says that Adam was smart. He was intellectual. And him naming those animals illustrates his dominion. If God would have brought me, I'm telling you the honest to God truth. If God would have brought a fish before me and told me to name it, I would have named it Derek. It's nowhere in the world I would have came up with a name for a fish. 
so, okay <laughs> and it's like it, it, when you think about it we don't know what we don't know right but when we think about how man created or I'm sorry or named these animals it's nowhere in the world in my mind I would be able to do that so to me it shows me that Adam was intellectual, that he was smart, and that's why God brought the animals, the animals to him. And not only that, what what do they say? Practice makes permanent. So God said, I'm giving you this dominion. I'm giving you this authority. I want you to walk like me. I want you to talk like me. Let me give you a little assignment. Go on and name these animals. All right? Uh all right, this is a good one. I know y'all know this one. How does God provide a mate for Adam? And what is her purpose? What purpose does she serve? So he put him in a deep sleep and took one of his ribs to create Eve, and she serves the purpose to uh, be his companion. To be his companion and to be his help. But the thing, the brilliant thing about God is that he took a part of man to make female to make a woman, to make a companion for him. He took a part of the man, which is similar to what God did with man who was his companion. Does that make sense? God took a part of himself to create a companion, and he went on to take a part of man to create his companion. All right? Um... I'm going to skip that. All right, so let's skip into the identity. All right, so what does God give to Adam and Eve to shape their identity? What does he give them to shape their identity? He gives them his image, right? They were made in his image. He gives them his creativity. Adam could not have named them little ugly creatures without having a creative mind. He gives them relationship that helps to shape their identity. Don't you know that if you are walking in relationship with somebody, you can better identify with them and you know who you are and whose you are? He gave them dominion, authority. He gave them position and jobs and things that he wanted them to do. And not only that, he gave them a nice place to live. All of these things that God gave Adam and Eve back then helps us today to shape our identity. Because if we know, if we really get to understand, like even beyond just, you know, living our day-to-day lives and, and what we know about God through somebody else's relationship, but if we get to the point where we understand that we are built in his image, That God has given us his creativity. He's allowed us to have relationship with him. And he's never taken our dominion authority. All right. So I was just reading through these questions to see which one I was going to pick from. So this other one. I want you guys to reflect just for a minute everything that we talked about, Sierra. I know you missed the first part. But just in what we talked about, what things can you gravitate to that you have learned about God, about creation, 
And how can you see yourself in this story that we learn in Genesis? I feel like I can gravitate to the power and the authority that he's given. I feel like a lot of times we don't realize how much power and authority, or at least myself, like I don't realize how much power and authority he's given us, not even just of the world, but of our own thoughts and our own decisions that we make. And I feel like I can relate at the fact that I really was made in his image. And the more that I read the Bible, the more I am becoming like aware and comfortable with the things that I do have power over. And I just feel like what I've been learning so far is just so refreshing. And it's just really amazing to know that we're created by someone so amazing. And like you said, the the part where you where he was hovering to breathe life into us, like things like that really amazed me. And then the part where identity, like we get our names, he creates us. He he already thought of us before our parents even know. So he created us. And then that name that we get is giving us identity in the world. And names actually do mean a lot. So it's just a lot of great information. Yes. Amen. Amen. And don't it make you think, because one, I know y'all a lot like me, but I literally lose my mind when there's no order and structure. That just drives me nuts. I be like, what? What? And then I try not to be that way. But then if you think about it, it's a it's a component of our core identity, order and structure. We thrive off of that. We yearn for that. But it's not, you know, in a sense of being controlling or, you know, having that Jezebel spirit. Because that's something different. That ain't what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is having godly order and godly structure. I'm telling you, it's like it's like the air that we breathe. We just want it. I believe that that is what God reveals about himself in creation. He reveals that he is not just some willy-nilly person who just decided one day, okay, I'm going to create the earth, the heavens and the earth, and I'm just going to, bam, is there. It was thoroughly thought out. It was planned. And not only that, I'm telling you, I can't even remember who this preacher was I listened to, but he had me thinking about some boy, oh boy. He said, God knew the beginning from the end to the beginning and all around again. So God knew that the fall was going to happen even before it happened. And even though he allowed creation to still come into being, he gave us redemption even before our first sin. I mean, can you imagine that? I didn't mean to rhyme, but can you imagine that? Like, that's the kind of God we serve. He is perfect in all that he does. That's what he's revealing to us. And he wants us to have that kind of identity. Even though we know that our thoughts are not his thoughts, our ways are not his ways, but his spirit that is in us 
that he allows to guide us will help us to bridge that gap. All right, so I want to read these things real quick about the truth about God and about man. All right, so God exists before the beginning. So he has no beginning. The spirit exists before the beginning. God is the creator of everything, including every instruction and every rule. Don't let nobody tell you that God didn't create everything. It was a big bang theory. All right, you just be stupid. God sees everything and he evaluates everything he sees. So keep that in mind. God sees everything and he is going to evaluate everything he sees. God speaks and things happen. He speaks and things happen. And that is the authority that he has given us. God is orderly and he is systematic. He's orderly and he's systematic. And it's important for us to understand that God spoke everything into existence in a single moment. In a single moment. It didn't take him six days to see if things were going to come to pass. He spoke those things and they happened. <laughs> he spoke what he spoke and it happened. He allowed six days to pass because he put separation between a day and a night and a day and a night. And that was for us. That was so we can look back today and be like, all right, we about to fight over what the Sabbath is. No, I'm just playing. That ain't why he did it. <laughs> but he allowed it for us. God is pleased with everything that he created in the universe. God provides for man and animals before they are aware of their needs. Just look at an animal. Just go out there and look at those birds that fly in the sky and, you know, some of them squirrels that be all in people's yard and stuff like that. God provides for them. He provides by what? Remember what we learned about the seed in the ground when he said, all right, just put that seed in the ground and let it produce. God is active and powerful. He delights in variety. God is good and only does good. God is good and only does good. God establishes reproductive boundaries and limitations, and he establishes identity in creation. A few other foundational truths that I want us to remember is that God gives explicit instruction. He gives explicit instruction without explanation, and he expects us to obey. This requires faith. We don't want to be like Adam. And listen to Eve and do stuff our way and be independent. I was, um, was it yesterday? I think I did a uh, presentation for the project managers on, on the job and pro project and program managers. And we're building a community forum that we meet every other month. And so we have to come up with a topic. And my topic was around uh, this lady that I love. Uh, she has a book called um, oh man, what's the name of that book? I just had it at the tip of my tongue. Uh, reality based leadership. And, and basically what she's saying is ditch the drama. But one of the principles that she teach in her training and one of her philosophies is that you are either going to get on board and go with the flow or you're going to exit. 
and go your merry way. Yeah, I, I forget what the term is that she uses, but she says, leave peacefully versus staying and causing contamination. And that's how God is. God is saying, look, I give explicit, explicit meaning detailed. Ain't no way you're going to get around understanding what I mean. Instructions. And he, he doesn't give us explanation because he don't owe us one. And he expects us to obey. All right. God is relational. He loves man and he wants to help uh, man and he wants to have man in his life. God establishes marriage and its parameters. Uh, from the beginning, man was smart and observant because he was created in God's image. We got our smarts from our daddy. Well, our daddy, God, I don't know about y'all daddy, daddy. Sorry, no, I'm just like, I'm just like, <laughs> all right. Man answers to God. Man is distinguished from the animals. Man's needs are fully met. I mean, man's needs were fully met by God prior to man's realization of his own needs. So God is meeting our needs even before we know we need them. All right. So here's the the memory verse that we're going to learn. We're going to learn this. And when we come back uh, next Thursday, somebody going to pray this. Hebrew 11 and 3 and 6. So Hebrew 11, 3 and uh, verse 6. And look at here. We went over 45 minutes, but uh, we still got some time. (laughs) We had some time. I feel good about it. So y'all can go and uh, get to the store. But anyway, this was a good Bible study. I'm excited about it. Uh, I want you all to uh, read, get in your word. We got some scriptures that we're supposed to read before next week. And I hope that uh, what you read last week was helpful to you. And uh, we're going to get back. Who want to end us out in prayer? Because I'm a little exhausted. <laughs> Amen.